0: All right, good morning, everybody. Let's, uh, let's begin with a word of prayer, and then, uh, then we'll, we'll settle ourselves here. Almighty God, you gave your only begotten Son to take our nature upon himself. Grant that we, your adopted children by grace, may daily be renewed by your Holy Spirit. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. All right, so let me pull this out real quick before I get going and then lose control. There's all kinds of stuff on here. <laughs> Who's been writing on this board? Okay, so here, while I, uh, while I erase these things that don't pertain to Bible study, um, wh- so if you were going to uh, summarize what happened l- last week, since I wasn't here, and I didn't get a chance to listen to it, what happened last week? <laughs> King killed Abel. Okay, that's good. That's good. And what did it mean? What was the point? The devil works. The, okay. All right. The devil works. The devil, the devil has his hand in things. Okay. Um, anything else? George. I got the impression that God was giving Cain some uh, support. He wasn't going to damn him at that Right. Right, and this is um, this is one of the miraculous things that we discover about God and His the way He deals with sinners. Especially, I think is especially vivid in the Old Testament. Is that um, people sin against God, and He confronts them with their sin, usually in much more vivid, sort of face to face kind of interaction than we than we're confronted with our sin. And one of two things can happen when when people are confronted with their sin. They can, on the one hand, say. Uh, make excuses, justify themselves. That wasn't a sin, or you have no right to punish me for that. We see this primarily, I think the best example of this is Saul, King Saul, who over and over again disobeys God's command. And when God confronts him through the prophet Samuel, um, he he makes excuses. He says, well, I had to do it. (laughs) I was forced to do it. And I was I was being really pious when I committed this sin, right? That's a favorite. That's a favorite line, right? Um, So that's one option when you're confronted with your sin is to to justify yourselves, and that's really tempting, and it's something that we're really um, that comes very naturally to us, Um, and it's 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 very dangerous when we become good at it, right? Think about all the times, all the ways that you that you in your life justify your behavior. Think, you, think of, you do something and then after the fact you say, well, this is why that was the right choice, right? We do this kind of after the fact thinking about things. And, we, and instead of the alternative, which is when you're confronted with your sin, um, to say, I'm sorry, right? I want to do better. Um, you're right. I deserve your judgment. I deserve the consequences of, of my sin, um, and that's the response of faith, which is very hard to come by. In fact, it's not, what, it's not a response that you can muster up on your own. Um, it's the response of the Holy Spirit, right, who, who uh, puts the words into your mouth. Um, and we'll see uh, later on as, in the study this morning um, just, how, just how that response works. Um, now I got derailed. Um, what was that? Uh, Noah, got, or Cain, got didn't, God wasn't just sending him off. And now, this is again true uh, throughout the Old Testament. We'll see this again um, as we talk about Noah. In fact, uh, just as a prelude, take a look at that first quotation on your page. Does everybody have the handout? First quotation by Capon. Um, and he's writing just sort of tangentially about the story of Noah. And he challenges the way we usually think about the story of Noah. So this is just a little bit of a preview of what's going to come here. The true tri- scriptural function of the story of Noah is more often than not obscured by interpretations that pay attention only to its judgmental aspects. The same, very same thing that can be true, said to be true of Cain and Abel, right? Um, Cain, was, Cain was awful. Abel was innocent, right? If that's your framework, then you kind of miss the mercy in the story, right? It is not, on, it is not an account of the wrath of God at the disaster of human history. It is the proclamation of God's mercy, It's God's ultimate way of dealing with sin. The principal symbolic element that gives it a preeminent place in the scriptures is not the flood at its beginning, but the rainbow at the end. God, after 40 days murderous exercise of his anger over sin, hangs up his judgmental artillery. It's a sign of his solemn determination to exercise mercy instead. He sets his bow in the cloud, sets, that is, a perennial natural sign of remission and peace as a witness to the covenant of grace that constitutes his ultimate relationship to the world. Even as early as Genesis 6 through 9, therefore, the sovereignty of grace over judgment is clearly intimated in Scripture. The other way to think about this, as we saw in First and Second Kings, is that the promise of life is stronger than the promise of death, okay? So God's judgment comes to us as a promise, you will surely die, Right? Dying, you will die, he said to, to Adam and Eve, if you eat of that fruit. But then, of course, he clothes them and hides their shame and offers them a savior, right? The, the, your seed will crush the serpent's head, okay? So the promise of life is stronger than the promise of death. Uh, and that's really important. It's, it's, it's vital that we remember that. The other side to it has to do with, uh, with the way we think about uh, mercy and judgment, um, and how mercy prevails, not just um, in the face of this or that sinful action, right? So in the case of, in the case of Noah, um, all of the world is evil, right? And it's not just in the face of that wickedness that God decides to have mercy. But God's demeanor towards humanity is prevailingly merciful, Right? And we see this in things that we often take for granted, that we frequently take for granted, right? So the fact that you and I are here today at church, for one thing, um, is God's, is only as a result of God's mercy. The fact that, you know, the earth continues to give forth fruit and, and we have food to eat and places to live, that's God's mercy. Um, it's it, Without his sustaining hand... I mean, so, so often the philosophers um, have have taken over theology by saying that God must have certain characteristics. God must behave in a certain way. In particular, God must be the kind of God who sort of winds things up. You may recognize this. He winds things up like a a watch. He's the watchmaker and then sets things, makes the rules and lets things go. That's not at all what God is doing. In fact, you saw that in the creation story. From the very beginning, God's whole purpose was the sustenance of human life. Right? And that continues. God is constantly creative. He's not just not creative just once um, at the beginning, but he's creative ongoing. And we see this every time a baby's baptized, when he creates out of nothing. He creates faith in, in, that, in a little child. Okay. So, um, here's what we're going to do. Yes, sir. Just a quick mention that the choice of words that he has, that I think are kind of interesting... In the middle where he says, after 40 days, murderous exercise. Right. I'm thinking, can we ever really call God's judgment murder? I think that, so you're on to a good point. And so, um, if we had defined murder as the unjust killing of somebody, yeah. right? Then, no, of course not. Um, what Capen is doing is uh, is sort of saying, this is what, it's, what it appears to be, right? It's, it, it's, it just looks like a murderous rampage. And if that's the only... The only glimpse you have of it, and you don't ever look at the mercy, then you might be settled. You might you might sort of settle on that description of it, right? Um, But if, on the other hand, you start with this perspective that uh, God's judgment on the wicked is just, right, and that He's simply fulfilling what they have brought upon themselves by their disobedience, um, then it is in fact not murder, right? It's righteous it's righteous wrath. Okay, but you're you're right. It's it, it, it it wouldn't fit unless you read it sort of um rhetorically it's it's uh it's a rhetorical turn of phrase there any other questions okay so here's what we're going to do if your bible is open close it you need a bible in front of you but i think one of the one of the great exercises um in learning bible stories especially ones that we're really familiar with is to take some time to uh consider what we know um and and I've also, having, having uh, little kids, I've, uh, I've discovered, especially lately, um, how difficult it is to tell Bible stories to my children from just sort of extemporaneously. It's, it's eminently more helpful if I have a great writer like Sally Lloyd-Jones to help me along. <laughs> but if we forget our Jesus Storybook Bible, and now I'm, now I'm tasked with telling my kids a Bible story, um, it's very difficult. But what, uh, for a number of reasons, one, because you're trying to remember the details, but also because you're compelled to, um, to determine what the point of the story is, where this is going, where this story is going. And so that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to take Noah, the character of Noah, and we're going to sort of rehearse everything that we know about Noah. And as though, you were, as though you were doing this, as though you were instructing a little child, and we're going to ask what the, what the point of Noah's life hidden the stories about Noah are okay so now this is a stream of consciousness kind of exercise so I'll try and write as fast as you can come up with things but give me give me a little slack here um, what do we so start from the beginning what do we know about Noah Three sons. okay okay Noah good we'll do some characters over here we have three sons Shem Ham and Jeff <laughs> <laughs> okay Good. What else? Oh, good. I'm so glad you said that. Okay, he is righteous. Um, and here I'm gonna I'm gonna pause for just a second. What does that mean? He was he was right with God, and that it was uh, that he still believed in God and held and held to faith in Him when everybody else had fallen away. Okay, so that is uh, that's that's a great answer. Um, and Paul clues us into where where the source of righteousness is—a right relationship with God is founded in faith, trusting in God, which ultimately fulfills God's first commandment: "You shall have no other gods before Me." So it's the righteousness of faith. So if you trust in God, and this is what this is sort of um, the distinction between Cain and Abel, right? So um, faith makes faith makes everything right before God. Okay? Um, if, you make a, if you offer a sacrifice unbelieving, not in faith, then of course it's displeasing to God, right? Of course he won't receive it. If you make a saf- sacrifice in faith, believing God, believing that this sacrifice is acceptable to him, then of course it's pleasing to him. Luther talks about this extensively um, when he described it, one of the cruxes um, of, of the Reformation was the, the, the important role of faith in receiving God's promises and in doing good works. So you can't do good works apart from faith. So that, Noah's righteousness is only really righteousness if it's righteousness because he's faithful, okay? because he trusts in God. Okay. We're going to come back to that because that's really important. What else? Courage. Courage? Okay. Courage and conviction, and these are tied into faith. So faith, um, faith is probably the only source, the only uh, reliable source of courage and conviction. Um, otherwise, he couldn't have said when the rest of the world was um, going to be destroyed, yes, I believe God will save me <laughs> of all people, right? That, and so courage and conviction, that sort of stem from faith, right? Okay, good. He, okay. Oh, obedience, um, and that also stems from faith. But what did you say, Carol? He was not, perfect. not perfect. Okay. Not perfect. Okay. So let, now we've said a lot about Noah here. Let's talk about the narrative, the story, for a little bit. How does the story go? God tells Noah to build a boat. Okay. So we need an ark. Now, uh, just for purposes of clarification. Uh, we see this we see this English word in the Bible frequently. What are, are the times we see this? Ark of the okay. Any other times? Okay, that's good. It's this is in fact not the same word as the Ark of the Covenant. Okay? They're two different kinds of two different kinds of boxes. But it is the same word as the little basket that Moses was put into when he got when he got dropped into the into the river. Okay? And that's really that's important because um, One of the the keys of this exercise is to recall other Bible stories that that have parallels or that are related. And so, right away we see um, Noah and his family were in an ark. Moses was in an ark. So what do those things have to do with each other? What do they both point towards in the future? The church is frequently called... it's, It's right, baptism. So the church is the ark in which souls are saved by water. Okay? So right away, and, and, and you see this, I, I gave you note, uh, Luther's flood prayer. Let's read this real quick. Um, we, we say this every baptism, every time we have a baptism. And this is really um, really helpful because it, it helps us understand the fact that God deals with his people and saves his people in the same way throughout history. I'm going to pause for just a second because I remembered that the baskets are for, <laughs> for money for LWML, okay? <laughs> I got it. I, forgot, I almost forgot. <laughs> Lindsay, you were, you were waving over there, weren't you? And I didn't. I, I, yeah, okay. <laughs> all right. So uh, this, is, this is number three on the page one. You'll, you'll recognize this right away. Almighty and eternal God, according to your strict judgment, you condemned the unbelieving world through the flood. Yet according to your great mercy, you preserved believing Noah and his family, eight souls in all. So there, those souls are saved from the unbelieving world through water. You drowned hard-hearted Pharaoh and all his host in the Red Sea, let your, let, let, yet led your people Israel through the water on dry ground. Again, water uh, is the means of salvation. Uh, through the baptism in the Jordan of your beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, you sanctified and instituted all waters to be a blessed flood and a lavish washing away of sin. Okay? So, um, this ark and these waters are pointing ahead, finally, to the ark and the waters by which we are saved, right? The ark of the church and the waters of holy baptism, okay? That's, that's central to this story. All right, what else? So God said, build an ark because I'm going to punish the world. Um, ark, because uh, a flood is coming. Because of flood, which is punishment. And what is it punishment for? Sin. Okay. And in fact, um, the description that's given in uh, in Genesis. Don't open your Bibles. Uh, the description that's given in Genesis is stark. In fact, this is probably the first. I think this is the first time that we that we really see just how how devastating sin is. Um, Let's see. Uh, <laughs> Verse 5 of chapter 6. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of his thoughts, of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Okay? That is a that is a brutal indictment of uh, of humanity. Every intention of his, of, his, of his heart was evil continually, right? If that's not a... That, that, this is what we would call the doctrine of total depravity, right? So everybody, everybody's really bad all the time, okay? And now, uh, God said, it's enough. I'm going to punish... I'm going to take care of the wickedness on earth. I'm going to wash it away. All right. What next? Moses, or Noah, the ark. Noah builds the ark. Okay, so it's built he does what god says and then you know how the story goes we can spin this up pretty quickly here the lord sends animals okay, so lord s- to fight. okay so he saves the animals and who who goes on the ark with him do you know and his wife and sons and his and his sons wives okay so there's eight people on the ark okay can we assume that they were as faithful as noah no we don't and later we find out uh that Ham in particular was not was not very faithful right so um i think it indicates someplace that he did have concern for the people and preached or witnessed what was going to happen just to, you know i'm not sure i'm not sure if that's in in genesis but it is sort of uh it is sort of part of the uh the, the sort of a, uh, yeah, either New Testament or or sort of apocryphal discussions of uh, of the flood, because um, we often have in mind. I have in mind this picture. I don't know where it comes from of people mocking Noah as he's building the ark. But that's not. A, it just doesn't show up in the Bible. You could presume it. Probably it was true. <laughs> Here's this loon over here building this ark, right? Um, but uh, but we don't. I don't. I don't know where that comes from. You know. Um, okay. Good. So now let's pause for a second. I want to return to. The notion of Noah being righteous. We here we have to open our Bibles, okay? Because it's 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 notable that um, this this is what you focus on, and this is uh, this is sort of characteristic of the way we tend to think about things. So, if I had if I was going to say to you, "Why did God save Noah and his family?" What would you say, George? Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's right. Okay. That's, and that's, that's a very important point. We'll talk about that. We'll talk, we'll talk about why that's the case. Now, why do you suppose... What, what do you suppose we're tempted to say about Noah? He because he earned it. Yeah. Well, isn't it because... Uh, well, I suppose a lot of people fit the description, but isn't he a descendant of Seth? Yes. Yes, and so, so that's good. God is working to preserve the line uh, that's the promise that's been given to, to, to Adam's offspring. Um, and so it's important for the sake of God's promises. We see this all over the time, all over the place in the Bible, that God saves his people not because of their worthiness, but because of God's promises, right? In fact, uh, there's a great prayer that shows up in Daniel, um, I just ran across this week. Um, let me read it to you real quick here. Daniel chapter 9. It's, it's, uh, it's remarkable. Because Daniel pleads on behalf of the city of Zion, the sanctuary. And he says, o Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all around us. Now, therefore, O God, listen to the prayer of your servants and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of all righteousness, but because of your great mercy. Okay? So he pleads to God, not because he has anything to give God, but simply because God is merciful. Right? Because God shows favor. And that's the key word. Favor is the key word that shows up in Genesis chapter 5. So, if you have Genesis chapter 5 in front of you, take a look. Actually, Genesis chapter 6. Yeah. (laughs) Um, okay, so now one, one you see this perhaps in, your, in the Bible you have in front of you that a section ends at 6 verse 8 and a new section begins at 6 verse 9. Do you see that in your Bibles? Do you have a paragraph or something there? Okay, so verses 1 through 6 um, is God seeing that the, the earth is evil, um, limiting man's days to 120 years, and then we have this really bizarre thing about the Nephilim. Don't ask me about that. And the sons of God and the daughters of man... So before we hear anything about Noah's righteousness or his obedience, anything about Noah's character, right? Except that he's the son of Lamech, who named him Noah because he thought that within Noah, Noah, it means rest, that, that the earth would find rest. Um, uh, he before anything, before we know anything about Noah, it says God, Noah found favor in God's eyes. Now, uh, the character, the character of God's favor, is that it is unmerited, right? It's mercy. And, And you can't have mercy, you can't have favor, if somebody's done something to deserve it. Otherwise, it is just. It's due to them, right? It's their reward. It's their wages. But here, right from the beginning, we see that Noah found favor. We talked about this in Women's Bible Study, so I apologize if you were in Women's Bible Study and you're going to hear this again. But turn... Turn to um, page 2, number 8. There's this remarkable thing that happens. Where in women's Bible study, we're studying Jesus films. And, uh, and uh, I think this is a great illustration of the trouble we have in understanding favor. So in the Annunciation, when the, Mary, when, when the angel Gabriel comes to Mary, what does he say to her? You have found favor in the eyes of the Lord, right? Um, and it's, it's this, uh, it's this beautiful passage, which means that Mary, apart from anything, apart from her upbringing, apart from her righteousness, apart from anything she has to offer, has found favor in God's eyes. So God has chosen her simply out of his mercy, okay? Now this, we're, we've been watching films, Jesus films, and it presents this really challenging problem in depicting Mary, Okay? So you take a, look at, take a look at the picture there. This is Mary from, um, from Jesus of Nazareth in 1977. And another writer um, writing about a, a, a similar film, uh, Pasolini's The Gospel of Matthew, um, says something which I think is, is also true of this, this Mary. He says, We can well imagine why the divine spirit chose her over all other women. Right? Because if you were going to describe her, what would you say? How would you describe her? Young, okay. Meek, or mild, right. Humble. Unimportant, uh, unimportant okay. Serene. Serene. Somebody say pure. Did somebody say that or am I... Mad? You don't know that. Okay, you don't know that. Does she look pure? Yes. Okay, <laughs> you can't tell. Wayne, you're so skeptical. She looks <laughs> pure, all right. <laughs> and that's important because... She, in fact, was chaste, right? This was really important for uh, her being the mother of Jesus. She had to be a virgin, right? But that chastity, that purity, wasn't the reason God chose her. And that, that purity didn't equal perfection or sinlessness, right? Or righteousness. Um, God chose her not because she was pure, not because she was humble or meek, but because he chose her, right? Um, And here we have, uh, did I put it in here? Yeah, Luther, up on number four. Um, Page two, number four. Rather than seeking its own good, the love of God flows forth and bestows good. Therefore, sinners are attractive because they are loved. They are not loved because they are attractive. For this reason, the love of man avoids sinners and evil persons. Thus Christ says, For I came not to save the righteous... But sinners, uh, <laughs> that's a bad typo. Uh, this, is, <laughs> this is the love of the cross, born of the cross, which turns in the direction where it does not find good which it may enjoy, but where it may confer good upon the bad and needy person. Okay. So when, the, the, the trouble with picturing Mary is that inevitably, in order to picture her as pure, we also picture her in a way which makes us think she's innocent, which she isn't, okay? Or that she is somehow deserving of God's favor. When Mary rejoices, it's this beautiful thing. She rejoices neither in neither in her um, her her righteousness or in her low estate, in her in her humility. She doesn't rejoice in either of those things. She rejoices in God's favor, right? And that's that's really that's the substance of faith, and that's why Mary is to be imitated because not because of her righteousness, but because of her. His, her faithful reception of God's mercy, okay? So, we have the same sort of thing going on here with Noah. First comes God's favor, and it's the end of a section. Genesis chapter 6, verse 8. First comes God's favor. So, God has chosen Noah. Then, we begin a new section. And now, you may remember um, in chapters 1 and 2, we had this phrase, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth, okay? This is a marker all throughout Genesis that, shows you where a new section is beginning. So here we have it again. These are the generations of Noah. Now we get a little bit more information about Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So the basic question is, which comes first, God's favor or Noah's righteousness? And it's clearly God's favor comes first. And the result is Noah's righteousness. Now, how is Noah's righteousness manifest? How do we see that Noah is righteous? He walked, with God. he walked with God, and when God tells him to do something, he does it. Okay, doesn't mean he's perfect. Doesn't mean he always fulfills God's will, but he trusts in God. Okay, and uh, that trust manifests itself as obedience and is counted to him as righteousness. Just as we'll later see with Abraham. Okay, any questions at this point? How are you guys doing? What's, if, if I'm just kind of playing in my head the story of Sodom and Gomorrah yeah. and the you know, saving of a select group of people there because they were found righteous. Right, right. If I can just find 10, if I can just find... So how, how do you square that up in your head? How do you think about that? Well, so it's, a very, it's the very same process. So um, we know that righteousness... righteousness is not something that inheres in us, right? It's not something that we generate on our own. So, if there were righteous people in Sodom, it's not because they made themselves righteous or because they were particularly obedient, right? The, their righteousness... Okay? So, it follows from God's favor, God's mercy. Just as, just as is true of all of you, Right? So the fact that you're here this morning is not because uh, you're particularly good at setting aside all your other all the other things that you have going on and uh, coming to church, but because God has had has, has had mercy on you and has given you faith, which which draws you to church. Okay. So, like Paul said in Ephesians, that we've all been uh, picked before the beginning of time. That it's that it's before Noah or before Noah was even born. That it was he had found favor. That's right. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Yep, good. And now another great example. Uh, we we heard it in the uh, gradual this morning. Peter is Peter here? No. We say, we heard. Listen, if you or if you have your st- surface folder still, it was from the beginning of Job, and Job presents a similar kind of a similar kind of a question. Job is uh, described as being. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, who feared God and turned away from evil. So his blamelessness and his uprightness manifest themselves in this way, that he fears God and turns away from evil. Um, We see this also um, in the fact that that Job uh, offers sacrifices for his sons, on behalf of his sons, because he's afraid that his sons may have sinned against God, and he he, he knows that, that the only salvation from sin is through God's mercy. Right? So he, so he pleads with God and offers sacrifices. But again, um, it's, not, it's not that first comes the righteousness, then comes God's mercy. It's the other way around. Mercy, then righteousness. Okay? Any other questions? Okay. So, let's talk a little bit more about the story. Um, just, just to jog your memory here. So, again, we're, we're, let's pretend we're telling a little child. What happens next? we got eight people on the boat. The animals are on the boat. Starts to rain, okay? Okay, God closes the door. Okay, closes the door. <laughs> what else? Then it for 40, days. 40 days and 40 nights, right? Everybody Everybody remembers that, that those important numbers. And it not only rains, but the floodgates of the great deep come forth. That's right, so there's water from everywhere, water from, from above and from below, right? Okay. Just to take a quick step back, is it important to note that the building of the Ark took an extremely long time? It is important to note, right? Right. So can you imagine I mean so I mean just in terms of like understanding Noah's faithfulness and how it played out, that's a long time to work I can't work on a project for a week and I get I'm done, you know? So seventy years, right? And 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 you haven't seen the flood yet, right? You haven't seen any sign of the flood yet. Um, in some ways it's comparable. We we often sort of under, underestimate what it must have been like for the early church, right? So, Noah, for, so, Jesus died and rose from the dead and said, I'm coming back soon. And they all said, Okay, this is great. He's going to be back soon. And then he didn't come back, right? And how difficult that was to remain faithful when you didn't see the fulfillment of the promise or the fulfillment of God's word. Is there a- 70, Seventy years. Perhaps I mean. So when you see the number seven, what what do you think of? Complete. It's the Sabbath, right? Right. So um, maybe it's it's hard to it's hard to pinpoint those kinds of things down. Yeah. Right. Um, but forty days and forty nights. Where do you see a parallel there? The desert. Yeah, and the temptation of Jesus. Right. Forty is a significant number in terms of enduring a trial. Right. Enduring enduring uh, an affliction. Okay. Jim. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you can't do that by yourself. No. If right. God believed in him and we believed in God to be able to build it. Right. That's right. In yeah, exactly. Exactly. And what it what it um one of the one of the things that it, it tells us sort of as Christians, um, if you want to think of your life, uh, so our, our lives as as baptized Christians are lives in this ark, right? We're in this ark, which is saving us through by water from the wickedness of the world, the wickedness in which we share. That's something important to note too, right? So Noah is not excluded from from the wickedness, the wicked indictment of the earth, right? So he's in this ark yet being saved by God's mercy. Um, You think about your life in the same way um, and the kind of patience that's called for as you go through life and suffer Not knowing when, not knowing when the end is going to come. Not knowing when you'll finally be saved from this tribulation. Um, It's a real challenge. And it's a real call for um, a return to the things that strengthen us, that give us endurance. Okay? You can't do it, you can't do it by yourself. Okay? So So if Noah had gotten the instructions from God and said, Okay, you can step back now, like as my kids often say when I'm, we're working on a project... Okay, Dad. Let me hammer this nail in myself, and then. <laughs> but you're going to hammer your thumb. But uh, and and that's exactly the exactly the point, right? So um, you can't go it by, You can't go it alone. You can't do it by yourself. All right. Anything else? That I think so. Um, uh, so what's the what's the story with with eight? It's a resurrection number, right? That the eighth day is the is the first day of the week, Sunday, and. Um, it's the, the day on which uh, little boys were circumcised, right? Given, given their identity as, as, uh, as, as creatures, as, as human creatures, as, as God's creatures, um, God's children. And so when we have eight people on the ark, it's, it's a recapitulation. It's, a, it's starting over, right? God's starting over, starting fresh with these eight souls. Okay. Carol. They have to wait for all the water to go away. Yeah. Yeah. Right, and what did they do while they were waiting? Do you remember? Yeah. So now I find this really interesting because he sends out first, not a dove, but a, a raven, yeah. Um, and then he send and, and what does the raven do? It flies back and forth across the waters. What, are, what kind of birds are ravens? Scavengers, Sca- scavengers okay. It's pre- it kind of presents a brutal image in your mind, right? So how can a raven sustain, sustain flying Two and, and four over the, the fro over the earth. It's because there's all kinds of flesh, right? Um, and uh, in, in some sense, I read an interesting article that described it this way, and I think it's it's kind of compelling. That in some sense, Noah here by sending out the raven is is participating. He's giving his he's giving his final assent to God's judgment on the earth. Right? He's saying, okay, this is this is what you this is what you've done, and here here's the raven to sort of confirm. Confirm that your actions were just. But then he sends out a dove. First dove goes out, can't find any place to rest. The second dove goes out and brings back an olive branch. The third dove goes out and okay. And so there we got we got the number three, right, which is um, a resurrection number as well, right? On the third day, he rose from the dead. Okay, good. Any questions yet? All right. So they, so they get out of the boat, and what is uh, what is the what happens next? Here, open your Bibles. This is, gets a little bit more obscure. Yeah, he builds an altar to worship God. That's right. Um, so here we are. Let's see. We're now in chapter 8, verse 20. Let's start at verse 13, okay? 8, verse 13. And when I read this to you... Um, See see what it recalls to mind. In the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. Okay. Does that ring any bells, things we've read before? Yeah. It sounds like creation all over again. It sounds like, it sounds like Eden all over again. And in fact, uh, we find out right away that Noah's going to be a gardener. Okay. Okay. Um, and he, this, this is where he, he plants this vineyard and, and, and grows these grapes and, and produces this wine. Verse 20, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from youth. There it is again, right? That hasn't changed. The intention of man's heart is evil from youth. Neither will I ever strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. Now, Sally Lloyd-Jones puts this little bookend on the end here, which is great. Um, it wasn't long before everything went wrong again, as it would be expected. But God wasn't surprised. He knew this would happen. That's why, before the beginning of time, he had another plan, a better plan. A plan not to destroy the world, But to rescue it, plan to one day send his own son, the rescuer. So that's how God can um, acknowledge the evil intentions of man's heart from his youth and proceed with confidence. Right? Go forward in caring for humanity, uh, sort of to the point of uh, ad nauseum. Right? He he endures he endures um, the 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 fickleness of mankind for so long. Um, and it's because he has this plan in place from the very beginning. Now, that just, a, just sort of a, um, a side note here. Remember I said Noah's name was, Noah means rest, right? Here at the end, when Noah rests after all of this, after the flood has subsided, God smelled the pleasing aroma. The word there um, actually means, it's like, it's like a restful aroma. So Noah has fulfilled his, fulfilled his name. He's fulfilled his vocation here. The name that his father gave to him. So he's he's um, he's followed God's command and brought rest to the to, to his family. Okay. Everybody good? Any questions? Okay. So there's just a couple other things that follow here, and let's look at them real quickly. Um, chapter nine, verse three. Um, we just as we saw earlier, the garden planted. We saw the animals coming out just like in Genesis one. Here we see the 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 the, um, the animals given for food and the plants given for food. But then also, just as in the garden, we hear a description of a fast. Things that they are not supposed to eat. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. As I gave you the green plants, I will give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life. That is, its blood. Okay, so feast and fast are still the way God, the way God feeds his people. But you shall not eat flesh with its life. That is, blood. As for your lifeblood, now here's a here's a commandment we haven't heard before. I will require a reckoning from every beast. I will require it, and from man, from his fellow man. Man, whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in His own image. So now, now there's a punishment for violence. It was violence that sort of prompted the flood in the first place, and now God has instituted this punishment for violence. And Noah is the executor, he's, the, he's sort of the king, the, the one who is supposed to carry out this judgment, okay? Um, and, so, and so, in a sense, once again, we're starting over. We're, we're back at the beginning. All right. So, to, so to sum things up, the, fir- the first takeaway point, the first thing to, to, to carry home with you is this notion of God's favor. And this is really important, and let's hang on to this as we go through Genesis, because there are a lot of stories. There are a lot of stories about the patriarchs, and we didn't get to this one about Noah, and his sons, but there's a lot of stories about about the patriarchs, about what you would say, that guy does not deserve, <laughs> does not deserve God's favor. That guy does not deserve to carry the promise of salvation. Okay? But God's favor precedes merit. God's favor precedes deserving his mercy. Okay? So that's that's the one main thing. The other main thing is that God is constantly creating, He's and recreating. Okay, so He's starting over all the time. That, that really narrows down on a micro level to you and your lives as Christians when you think about them as living out this story every day, right? In which wickedness is drowned and you emerge a new person starting again um, with God's mercy um, from the ark, in the ark of the church, from the waters of your baptism. Um, uh, it, it changes your perspective on your life if that's, if that's the way you're oriented. Okay? So hang on to those two things. Those are the the two takeaways from today. Any questions? Thank you. Yes. Uh, when it says you and all your household. Yeah. Uh, and it doesn't imply that everybody in the household was righteous. Right. And uh, I'm thinking later on with Cornelius, where he said, Go, telling Peter, go find Cornelius. And yeah. For Cornelius, you will send for Peter in Joppa. Yeah. And then you'll hear a message where you and all your household. Yeah. It's a good. It's a good question. So I think the best way to answer it is to think of how Jesus performs miracles in the New Testament. Right? Um, we see this all the time. The paralytic who's brought to Jesus by his friends, the parents who intercede the, on behalf of their children who can't speak, or um, or who are possessed by demons, no less. Right? Um, the faith and faithful prayers of uh, the the people to whom God has shown favor are effective. Okay. They they matter. And this is why you know uh, the very best thing you can do for your children or for people who you care about is not is is to pray for them. Right. That's your that's your um, primary tool, your first weapon um, in in combating things that uh, that you can't you can't handle on your own, that you can't fix on your own. Right. So it, this concern for the whole household it centers on Cornelius and the fact that he believes. Right. Same thing with Noah and his family. Noah's family. Um, we don't know anything about about their faithfulness, right? We know they trusted their father. Otherwise, they wouldn't probably wouldn't have gotten on the boat. They may, may have thought he was crazy, still. But they trusted him, and his his faithfulness is what is what saved them, right? He's the reason they got on the boat. He's the reason there was a boat in the first place. Okay, so uh, that's one way to one way to look at it. And don't so don't so I mean everything in the Bible points to us. Uh, not, uh, being careful not to underestimate just how potent the prayers of the faithful are. Okay? Where do you stop being? You don't want to make it sound like uh, Noah was covering the sins right. of his household. Right. Because at some point, you didn't either obey God. Right. A- exactly. And it's the, same, it's the very same thing that we, we see with Mary. So um, Noah's prayer, the prayer uh, in Daniel was not on account of righteousness. So, he, so, so if Noah is concerned about his family, he doesn't say, God saved my family because they deserve it. He says, God saved my family because you are a merciful God. Right? And in fact, uh, we, 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 this, is, um, this is true all the time. God's, God, be merciful to this person because you have baptized them. Right? You've made them your child. Michael. Uh, I could be off, but is it in, a, in a pretty simple way, doesn't this just point to the uh, primal place of, the father in the, in the family because in the New Testament, in the New Testament, it was once the head of the household became a Christian, his entire household was Christian by right. by extension. Right, yeah. And that, and that carries through, I mean, so Luther talks about Adam being the first, the first pastor whose responsibility was to to teach his children. Same thing with Noah. In fact, there's this, he, Luther, is, if you ever get a chance to read Luther's commentaries on Genesis 1 through 5, they're kind of comical because he says, uh, the reason why Cain offered a bad sacrifice might have been because he was spoiled. Because his dad was, <laughs> his dad spoiled him and, and made him think that he was more special than he actually was, right? Um, same thing with Noah. In the small catechism, it's, it's given to the head of the household to, to, to instruct, to, to instruct the children um, in the way they should go. Okay, we have run past time. Let's pray, all right? Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name.